This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It's beginning to look a lot like wokeness. Let's problematize till dawn. For the wokest thing to be is on the right side of history. And if we say we're right, then we cannot be wrong. So purify the world and join our throng. Welcome to the Voice of Reason podcast, Christmas special, well, Wokemas special, with Andrew Doyle. This man is a columnist for Spiked Online, as well as an author and a citizen of the internet. I don't know if he'd actually call himself that. But we have a very facetious Navidad together with uh, some Christmas cheer and a lot of uh, jokery, jocularity. Uh, this conversation talks about free speech and then veers off into sites that you probably don't want to see, but that's okay if you're just listening to the audio. So without further ado, here is Andrew Doyle. Hello. Oh. Hi. V- very special holiday Doyle. <laughs> yeah. How are you? Sorry about this. I'm, I'm so... Oh, I've just messed up again. Oh, has it been a difficult December? No, you know what it is? It's because I'm nocturnal at the moment. My sleeping pattern's completely out. I've just got got up, really, and it's like 6.30 in the evening here. So it's 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 not... It's a menace. Are you on it's special a- assignment to Thailand or something? Is this what's going <laughs> on? No, I'm writing a book. I'm writing a book oh. about free speech. Well, I've written a book about free speech, and um, this is the process of, of revising and all the rest of it. Um, and so that that's happens best at night. I don't think it is necessarily best at night. I think I just, I, I'm just not very organised. So uh, you know, I, I need, I need the nine to five. I don't have the nine to five anymore. I had it when I was a teacher, and yeah. because I don't have it, I don't subscribe to it, which is terrible. Anyway, how are you? I'm, I'm fair. I'm good. I'm What's that working. behind you? What, What's this behind islands? me? Uh, yeah. This is the San Juan Islands. Oh, very nice. And there's Mount Baker right there, which is a mountain north of me. Uh, this is oh. all north of me. This is the Puget Sound. Okay. It's a... Well, it's it's beautiful. Is um, it? Yeah. When do you want to start? What do you want us to talk about? Are you recording now? Well, we're always recording, Andrew Doyle. Oh, I see. You do this, don't you? You, you record from the very get-go, yeah. surreptitiously, and then you because you want me to say something incriminating before the official beginning of the podcast uh, in, in I, I, the, so that you can get a scoop and then you'll have this big thing that you can use against me i'm not uh, that get, kind get of person hits. the people don't come to me for scoops i don't Do think not? i no. maybe well they, well this will now change that although i haven't really said anything incriminating other than the fact that i'm working through the night and, and sleeping during the day like some kind yeah. of vampiric beast um, which is what well, so this is going to be coffee that you're drinking then, because la- last we spoke, you were drinking uh, some sort of iced wine, I believe. <laughs> I was no, I was drinking a gin and tonic. Last okay, time. All right. It wasn't iced wine. <laughs> um, I- iced wine—that sounds like an abomination. Yeah. Although sometimes you have to do it, don't you? If you're in a pub and someone serves you white wine and it's not ch- chilled, you have to go back for the ice because I mean, 
white wine that isn't chilled is kind of like lighter fluid is at it? the best it's horrible i didn't know yeah. like your threshold for uh liquors uh well i i do like wine i like a cheeky shabbly from time to time but i don't like it if it's tepid okay you know? yeah. yeah um now can you you can hear me okay i've i've this is i've switched to my mic is this work does this sound all right yeah it's fine and okay. uh we, i'm not getting my voice in the background uh what's up with the christmas yes, sorry, trees this is is proper, a, yeah okay sorry, ben? so we are we're, we're on the same beverage okay good what time is it where you are uh it's a uh, 10 a.m 10 30 so this is your morning i imagine you're not a particularly early riser uh i try to i no, i'm usually up depending Okay, uh, okay, but I'm pretty early riser. So this is good because we're both on the same level. We're both. Yeah. This is both of our mornings. Kind of tailed, a little yeah. bit. <laughs> Wearing yeah. blue. Yeah. Great. We're coordinating. I like it. Um, do you, Do you think that there's anything that we could cover that would make this a Christmas special? Uh, I, I wanted well. to speak about your nativity as a son, a nun's son, if I recall correctly. <laughs> Oh, yes, that's right. I told you that just at the end of the last podcast. Yeah, there's like this cliffhanger. It's like this immaculate. We can talk about the nativity. We can talk about the uh, the um, the disparities in the uh, the narratives of of Christ's birth in the in the Gospels, Mm. the synoptic Gospels, which which. um, uh, In fact, I believe it's only Mark's gospel that has the uh, the nativity but it could be wrong about that it's been a long while since i perused yeah, the old gospels it's been a while too <laughs> maybe we shouldn't go into that without having no, maybe, refreshed <laughs> maybe not maybe not i um but, but 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 i do know that the 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 uh the 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 way it is currently portrayed the ox and the ass and the stable that all of these things aren't really in the bible they're not there it doesn't even say three wise men it it, it talks about the magi uh, it doesn't actually specifically mention how many of them there are. It's just that they have gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and therefore people just assumed uh, that each of them had a gift, and therefore there are three kings. Of course, they could have been chipping in. You know, it could have been very much a kind of collaborative gift. There could have been 20 kings, for all we know. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And and they seem like the sort that might do it. I mean, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, these are, you know, botanical extracts. This is the sort of thing you'd get at Elizabeth Arden. So... Um, they're quite expensive, and therefore you would need a number of kings to cover that kind of cost. Back in the day, yeah. Or whatever the whatever the equivalent of Elizabeth Arden was back in the day. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't purport to be a biblical scholar, so I couldn't tell you that. Um, well, but, we yeah. we are in uh, part of what I've been covering is the disparity in narratives. So if we talk about mm. the disparity in Christ's origin, it really maps on to current events and all the narratives that everybody has a different take on. It does well. I mean, you've got to remember that the three synoptic gospels were not written by people who knew Christ directly. The only one who knew him was Mark, potentially, and that's and that's even speculative because that's um, there's a bit of an apocryphal myth that the, the the guy that's mentioned running away uh, uh when they arrest jesus the young man who runs away there's this kind of romantic speculation that that was mark himself uh but but i don't i don't even think that's secure so you know they're all they're all working many many years later from from various sources so it, it you know it's no, it's no wonder that there there's a there's a disparity there yeah uh, but it's really not about that is it it's really not about the specificity of the detail it's about the the, the message you know well what why does the message rely on so many details then or i don't think it does necessarily i mean if you take like you know 
they all have their own styles, don't they? The gospel writer, like Matthew, Matthew tends to. Again, I'm going back years. I haven't looked at them for a long time, but Matthew tends, to, if I remember rightly, to embellish a little bit. You know, like so, like uh, you know, for instance, um, he'll rise from the dead in the other gospels, but in Matthew, he rises from the dead and enables other people to rise from the dead at the same time. You know, other bodies rise uh, mm-hmm. at, at the same time. So there's there's always a, a sort of step further. Mm-hmm. He, he, you know, he's he's got the more kind of dramatic quality. And they um, put him first, so it paid off. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Yeah, there we go. Well, you've got to start with a bang. <laughs> you know, you've got to get you've got to get your audience early on. And you see, they messed it up with Genesis because Old Testament they didn't know how to to sell a book because Genesis starts with two competing creation narratives that cannot yeah. possibly uh, work together, and that's just going to mess up your audience. So just think, people, be smart. You know, lay it all out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, how's you your woke be- Bible coming along? My woke Bible. Are you not writing one? No. Did I say I was? Well, I, I'm writing one, so I, I assume that you're going to beat me to the punch. I was. Now that you've said it, I might. I, I, I know. So what's happened is I was writing a book about the culture war, and that was all commissioned and, and contract signed and all the rest of it, and I was all guns blazing on that. Of course, over the last six months, everything keeps changing all the time, so kind of makes writing the book quite difficult. But I uh, I got to a point. And it was about a month ago, a month and a half ago. And the publisher actually requested that I write a different book about free speech. And and, and that this would be a short book, like um, okay. almost like a, a kind of pa- pamphlet style, like about, I don't know, 25,000 words or something like that. And, and just a short book, punchy, getting to the point about free speech and why it's important. But they, they wanted that before the other one. So I had to just, so I basically ditched the other one for now. That's not okay. going to come out now to the end of next year. Hmm. Um, and I and I wrote this free speech book over the past month, but what that means is I've been working quite hard at it because I want yeah. you know obviously I want to make sure it's right. Um, there are books about free speech I've read them most of them, um, are, are the recent ones I mean, and um, I, I they I I wanted something a bit more pithy, a bit more punchy, a bit more uh, direct and 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 more to the point rhetorical. I want to try and. My aim is to persuade those who are skeptical about free speech, really. Okay. But of course, those are the very people who are unlikely to read it. So, yeah. so it's it's aimed at people who are never going to read it. That's my that's that's the problem. Well, and and what what is the main line of uh, I guess contention uh, with people who you perceive don't aren't on board with total the main the main well there's a couple of things the main issue I think actually a lot of it can be boiled down to one single problem which is that if you believe if you invest language with an undue degree of power as in if you think that language is is at the heart you know the postmodernist idea that language is at the heart of absolutely everything that it not it it not just describes our reality but constructs our reality Mm -hmm. if you believe that then you believe that language has the capacity to do harm that words are violence and you get that's why you get that kind of idea that that therefore we need hate speech legislation we need a comp we need to to uh basically prioritize um i suppose well it's a conflict isn't it between liberty uh and and the impact that language can have on minority groups and if you buy into the idea that uh language and discourse and mass media consumption um changes people's behavior then i think you end up being for hate speech laws uh, and all the rest of it, and 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 the state intervening when it comes to speech. I think that's what happens, which I think is a very understandable perspective to have. You know, if you, I, I think it's a, it's 
it's it's reasonably persuasive. The problem with it is is that it's not true, and 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 we know it's not true because there have been six decades of research into media effects theory. The direct effects model of media effects theory has been completely discredited. Uh, it, any influences come about only in an indirect way. So sure, people can be persuaded, they can be coerced, they can be uh, manipulated through language, but a lot of that depends on individual temperament, moral compass, um, circumstance. Um, it isn't as simple as we, we're kind of these uh, robots that act on triggers, mm-hmm. you know, th- that we hear it language and then, we, and then something bad happens. All of that, I mean, all of that has been discredited. It's it's not real. And and therefore, it's so weird to me when people talk about normalising hatred and legitimising hatred through language. And, and there just is no evidence that this is true. Hmm. So so that's part of the approach I've taken. Um, and also it's about weighing up, you know, some very, very serious points. Firstly, you know, it's not comfortable to me. I don't like the idea that there are these neo-nazis and people who are proselytizing and attempting to to spread this horrific message right um there's not many of them though and that's the point and and when you weigh that up against this very fringe group of very nasty people against empowering the state to determine what people can say and think Mm -hmm. the latter is a far greater threat it doesn't feel like a greater threat because of course nazis are scary um but Mm -hmm. The state can be scary too. In fact, the state can be a lot scarier if you set down the precedent and give them those powers and therefore eventually um, uh, they turn to tyranny or can turn to tyranny, as history tells us. So uh, it's, it's about having the bigger picture and, 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 and accepting that nothing is clean cut and nothing is utopian and you can't solve everything. And, and the idea that, you know, you, you can get the state to criminalise certain forms of speech and then that will magically make racism and homophobia and transphobia disappear. It's not going to happen. Well, uh, one fact, problem that I have with sorry? these one problem that I have with these uh, hate speech laws is that you're not just legislating language; you're legislating the interpretation of the language, and it, it assumes exactly. that one word equals one meaning, one value, yeah. and that the impact is not based on somebody perceiving a negative impact. Like if somebody it, truly, like that old grade school kind of axiom: "Sticks and stones can break my." bones, but words can never hurt me. That's a personal choice to not read danger in these words. And so what you're handing over to the state is the power of interpretation, which then yeah. goes your, pow- uh, your power to, to see multiple interpretations, to interpret things uh, hum- humoristically, to have uh, varying emotional qualities and content. It, it eventually destroys humor and poetry and all of the arts, because no, of course. It, I mean, it relies on an, an understanding of language that is very mechanical. Exactly. And so much hate speech legislation roots the uh, the transgression on the basis of perception. You know, whether whether the victim has perceived, well, they call it victim, or they should say complainant, but whether the, the victim mm-hmm. has perceived uh, that uh, offence was intended, for instance. Um, and yes, you're absolutely you're absolutely right. I mean, that that's that to me is a, is a problem is 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 the way in which you the, the state can designate interpretation of language yeah so it's a huge it's a huge problem you know um but it's like marcus aurelius points out that you know if if words have caused harm it's because you've chosen that they should in other words don't choose to be offended and you won't be don't choose to be harmed and you won't be it's not the same as if someone punches me i have no capacity to to prevent that the encroachment on my liberty because i i haven't done kung fu since i was a child yeah but like so that can happen 
But then if they if they say a nasty word to me, the the hurt comes about because I've interpreted it as such. That's not to say that it won't happen. Mm. I mean, I'd be a psychopath if it didn't happen. Mm. Um, but but there is an element of you you have you have made uh, participated in the harm that has been caused through an act of interpretative will. Um, so and it's just simply not possible to legislate against. I think I think you guys would be shocked at the hate speech legislation we have here. I think no, really I, the stories surface. Uh, a lot of women, specifically, in, in the stories that I cover, are being harassed by police for saying mean things or things that could be interpreted I, as hateful on Twitter. Yeah, it's it's now got to the point where gender critical feminists are the ones who are particularly facing yeah. arrest, prosecution, um, all that kind of thing. A non criminal really, offense, it's called, and they get this yeah, docket, really and then it goes in their record. But also at the moment, I mean, we've got the SNP, the Scottish National Party, who are trying to push through a hate crime bill, which would explicitly criminalise the performance of certain plays. They've even got a section about drama, yeah, which would also cover comedy shows, for instance. And and initially, when they when they wrote up the bill, it was to be um, about whether it, you could be prosecuted even if you hadn't intended to stir up hatred. So these are very abstract terms. For a start, what is hatred? What is stirring up hatred? Who gets to decide? It's an absolute mess. And um, hmm. so they've got rid of the intention bit because everyone freaked out and said, well, that's mad. Um, but now they're doubling down. And the, the Hamza Youssef, who's the justice secretary. He's pretty intense. He, his uh, hatred of white people is pretty intense. He's a terrifying individual. He, I mean, he's been talking about how we should be able to arrest people if they speak in their own home in a way that would stir up hatred. I mean, this is like a... A baseline point of liberty is that you should be able to say whatever you want in your own private residence. The idea that the state should be, I mean, this is East Germany Cold War stuff. This is this is absolutely insane. Um, and he doesn't get it. Like he doesn't like, you know, even when the Scottish mm. Council of Lawyers say this is a problem, when all sorts of major bodies are saying, you know, you really don't want to go down this road. I, I, I just suspect he doesn't know anything about history. I honestly think that's it. Mm. Um, and. So any, mm. and, and he's got this idea that you can wave a magic wand and get rid of hatred. Well, you can't because it's a human emotion, you know, so yeah. you can't get rid of it just by getting rid of the language that expresses it. It's an, abs mm. an absolute nonsense. So mm -hmm. we have this problem. And also the UK government now is trying to expand hate speech legislation here. So it, it isn't over. In fact, they're going in the wrong direction. So what we should be doing is repealing uh, the relevant section of the Public Order Act, the, the relevant section of the Electronic Communications Act, which I think is section 127A. Uh, which specifically says that things that are transmit words and phrases that are transmitted over the internet that can be deemed grossly offensive. That's the phrase, grossly offensive. Well, that is incredibly uh, subjective, as we mm. as we as we know. So, and we've already had prosecutions, many many prosecutions in this country, because judges have decided that something is grossly offensive, even when perhaps it's a joke. That's happened a lot. Yeah. Um, Very finely you know, offensive. Yeah, we have three thousand arrests every year. Uh, for for offensive things that people have said online, we have uh, wait a year. The past, What's the rate? A year, three thousand so, so, people a year being arrested for offending or being perceived as offensive. Yes, um, <laughs> approximately nine a day. That's happening in the UK. I can even send you the link to to, to clarify that the, the source is clear, the data is clear. Over the past five years. Uh, sorry, well, between 2014 and 2019, the police in England and Wales alone arrested, or, sorry, investigated 120,000 cases of non-crime, what they described as non-crime hate incidents, um, which are on record. So if you are investigated for non-crime in this country, yeah, um, that goes on your record. So when you apply for a job, 
there's a lot of jobs, particularly things in schools and, and things like that, where you would have to apply for what's called a disclosure and barring service, a DBS check. Mm-hmm. That will flag up. So if you if so, so all it would take is I could phone up and say, oh, well, say you were British, right? As, as I Benjamin Boyce said something that really offended me. And I think it's a hate crime. Um, I think he hates me because I'm gay. Uh, and I, I don't know why I'm doing this in a really camp way now. But, but you get the I probably you, would you if, I go, to, if I keep on. Play, if I wanted go, to play the gay card, I'd go camp. Yeah. And I'd say this Benjamin Boyce. Oh, my God. He said this horrible thing. You need to investigate him right now. And then the police would investigate, maybe phone you up, maybe check what the th- what the tweet was you sent, which upset me. And then even though that there was no crime committed, even though they might even say, oh, there's nothing really there, on your record it would say that you were investigated for a non-crime hate incident. Hmm. And, you know, employers are very wary of that. It would probably stop you from getting certain jobs. So hmm. that's a problem, isn't it? And also there's the basic point that the police should not be investigating non-crime. Yeah. Well, and, and what's going on with the other crimes? Is are other all the other crimes so far taken care of that they have all these extra resources? To... Right. Well, far from it. Are there like no more rapes in the UK? Has that been solved? That's all been solved. Yeah, apparently. Apparently, <laughs> I, I I I think it's really scary. I don't know what to... you guys are descending into tattlearchy. Well, the, the problem is they don't know. They don't understand why. I get this again and again. Like, why do you care about these little free speech disputes that are going on on campuses and all that? And, mm-hmm. and these little things that don't really matter, that everyone's just escalating this fake, phony culture war. I'll mm-hmm. tell you why. Because the police are investigating hundreds and thousands of people for non-crime. That's why. So this stuff goes into our mainstream institutions, our law enforcement agencies, our legal institutions, our educational institutions, our media, the arts... It is pervasive. It is ubiquitous. And the idea that it doesn't matter, just because there are a few people online who are whinging about snowflakes and, and people think that's the culture war. That's not the culture war. That's, mm. that's like a tabloid version of the culture war. That's not what we're talking mm. about here. We're talking about the serious problems of the encroachment on liberty, which yeah. is the bedrock of our civilization. It's actually fairly fundamental. So... Um, I don't really have no, I don't really have truck. I think it's actually a strategy as well. If you can just dismiss people as saying, oh, you're just like, you're like one of these, oh, it's PC gone mad, or, you know, you're just complaining about snowflakes, or, or you can't, you keep going on about how you can't say anything anymore. All of this stuff, none of which I do, none of which I've ever said, but what you, what, what it is, is a way to caricature an imaginary opponent. And then, and what that means is you can't, it's more difficult to legitimately challenge these very, uh, essential problems that need to be challenged if we don't want to descend into tyranny. So, you know, go on. Sorry. Well, what, what's the? What do you think is the historical root of this current moment? Then, or what do you think? How did it get to this point? Where do you think the switch or the change was in, in cultural attitudes that allowed this stuff to take root? I don't know the answer to that. I think there are combinations of things. I think partly it was to do with the more overzealous elements of the political correctness movement of the late 80s, early 90s, potentially. Although I think the outcome of that was largely positive. Um, but I think I think it's people who have won the battle but still want to fight. Mm. And I think mm. that's happened a lot. So you know, I mean, Stonewall, which is the the major gay rights organisation in this country. Well, we have complete equal rights across the 
the board they've got nothing left to fight for really so then they said well we're not just going to do lgb we're going to do lgbt and unfortunately a lot of the policies that they they uh, have accepted in terms of what they perceive as being promoting trans rights are actually essentially homophobic things like we're going to change the definition of, of homosexuality to be same gender attraction rather than same sex attraction that's quite fundamental because gay gay men for instance are not attracted to people who identify as men they're attracted to male bodies mm-hmm. uh and and the male form and the male physique and all the rest of it so uh it's it's yeah it's a real problem and um I guess if you, I guess if the battle's won, but you're as a, a, the kind of person who is quite zealous and and needs a cause, then yeah, you can. Um, I guess it's that potentially, um, but the truth is, I don't know. I also think a lot of things in history happen by accident. You know, mm. it's like that line in the History Boys, the Alan Bennett play, where he says history is one fucking thing after another. Mm. Like that's pretty much what it is. It's just, you, you know, sometimes it it is just a sequence of circumstances and things just happen and trends form and it's difficult to roll them back sometimes and i think that's where we are now uh i guess i don't know do you think i don't do you think in a way that uh, i've been toying with the idea that at least in the american uh consciousness our civil rights movement has reached kind of a decadent uh phase or decadent era like like you said like they kind of got the big things out of the way and now there's just a lot of little microaggressions so-called to to clean up but they still want the big movement to deal with these tiny little very complex implicit and systemic things and so what we have is and yet they 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 behave as though these were the greatest civil rights conflicts of all time as though things have never been worse we have it in this country particularly with oxford and cambridge for instance where the the charge of systemic racism at oxford and cambridge is palpably absurd i mean the the it's it's don't just take my word for that the 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 statistics the data the hard facts on instances of racism and racial abuse i mean any instances of racism are 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 wrong well i don't even i can't even believe i have to say that that's a given right but they they don't happen very often at oxford and cambridge in fact there's probably never been uh, a less racist environment to live on in the history of the planet at any given time you you know it's 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 totally absurd to suggest that that these are hotbeds of white supremacy it is it is delusional and it involve it means that you have to ignore the facts yeah. right so what they'll say is well the data doesn't count because the data ignores lived experience yeah. and and they come up with all these torturous excuses and the, and the very fact that you're questioning it by invoking data is yeah. further proof of of the systemic racism because otherwise you wouldn't question it this is this is the level we're at now and if you don't have trust in in i was speaking to peter bogosian about this recently he did he was on my podcast we were talking about what's called the legitimation crisis this this point that when we lose faith in authority figures when a, a university which is there for the, it's it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's there to produce knowledge, produce and test knowledge. When the objective is not truth, but ideology, uh, then nothing works anymore. It is an utter disaster. So um, you should listen to that podcast. He says some really fascinating things. I mean, you know, Peter. So yeah. Uh, do you think that you can uh, kind of uh, approach or attack or are you for the free speech uh, thing without all this other stuff attached to it? Did have you yeah, had to so, build your argument? 
It's a good question. I so I I because I'm writing this other book about the culture war. I very much did not want to have those kind of conflicts explored within a book about free speech. Yes. So I wanted this to be very much specifically about the free speech question, and I also didn't want it to be divisive. So I didn't want to. Uh, because as soon as you as soon as you talk about issues such as uh, systemic racism, systemic homophobia, yeah, all that, okay. that kind of stuff, implicit bias and everything, then you're going down. Uh, then that's a different book, I think. A, it, and yet it is it is connected. It is very much connected. So what I've I've done with a kind of lightness of touch, I've tried to introduce those elements without really, without really, or, or kind of reserving my um, principal sort of rhetorical thrusts to the free speech debate. I'm trying to root it in the argument on free speech. Um, okay. And then hopefully the next book about the culture will, will be kind of like a companion piece to it. It'll be a much longer book, but it, but it will explore those other issues. Okay. Uh, but I think at the moment, because the, for me, the free speech issue is a priority because I, I just, I just, I get very nervous by the fact that so many people are, are skeptical about it. That shouldn't be the case in a liberal democracy. And the fact that we've got to this point means that I felt I had to address it, you know? Well, and I think we've already explored this, but what is free speech based on? What's underneath? What supports free speech? Or is that like the principal value that kind of exists on its own? Like, how do you... I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I see that as the core value, because without those freedoms, no other freedoms can possibly exist. I see it as the kind of the seedbed of our liberties. Okay. Um, so I think but, if you're going to... Don't you I mean, need you like some form of civility or like free speech needs to have, be accompanied by the ability to be articulate? At right, least. exactly. Right. Well, I'm all for civility. And, I, and, and, and this is a point that I explore in the book as well, is that I think uh, there's nothing wrong with cultivating a kind of social contract by which we all agree that there are certain ways that you express yourself in, sort of, in, in terms of like, I'm not going to meet a stranger on the street and, 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 and call them some horrible expletive. Or if, well, I have the freedom to do it, but if I if I do it, then I should expect consequences. I should expect people to ignore me or, or shout mm -hmm. at me or, or or argue back or whatever. All the rest of it, you know, I you you make yourself a pariah if you don't abide by the uh, generally accepted conditions of decorum. And I think that's actually a very good thing. But that social contract is an ever evolving thing. It's not something that is fixed. It changes okay. according to time and circumstance. Um, and so when, for instance. There's a writer in the UK called Yasmin Alibi Brown who talks about how, well, we all we all have limits on free speech and we all we all accept there are certain things that you can't you can't say. But what she doesn't do is she doesn't make the distinction between uh, the, the the voluntary adherence to the social contract and a compulsory okay. imposition by the state. So, for instance, I so so I am civil because I choose to be civil. I I, I should be have the right to choose to be uncivil. But then I can't be expected to get the jobs I want and to have the friends I want and to and to and to be able to function in society as a mature human being. So I actually think that free speech and absolute free speech is entirely compatible with the notion of decorum. I think the two things are not mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. And as a comedian or as somebody who uh, has a taste for comedy, let's say you enjoy Don't we all have a taste for comedy. Or are uh, unable to resist uh, violating decorum for well, it's very different, isn't it? I think means. I'm actually no. I, I'm 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 a very polite person. I, I I don't violate decorum. If I'm if I'm if I'm performing a stand-up gig, then I'm quite rude and quite waspish. And but that's because that's not me. That's a character I'm playing okay. on a stage. Yeah. Right. So that's not the, that's not the same thing. I don't. I in fact. You know, rude people are quite funny to me, like the, because because you you look at someone wh when people say things that are just unbelievably rude, you think, I mean that's hilarious. Like, how can you behave like that? Um, 
but um and and so so that's why i i when i'm doing a, a, an online uh, sorry a, a stand-up persona it's quite funny to me to say that that's part of the point of stand-up isn't it you want to see someone behave in a way that we know that we don't behave you, know, yeah. you want to see someone transgress yeah. those boundaries as a kind of reminder of why we don't do it hmm. you know oh i i bring that up because it seems to be the case that one aspect of the hate speech law uh, the the push or people who end up wanting to push to uh, a centralized controlling of language, of decorum, are people who don't necessarily understand context. They're the last yeah. people in the world that you want interpreting language. Uh, oh, yeah. Can you imagine attempting to legislate decorum? <laughs> what, a, what a horrible society that would be. I mean, there would be no, there would be no, there would be no innovation. You know, a lot of the most innovative movements in the arts uh, and actually in science, you know, if you, if you, you know, uh, Galileo was a heretic was subscribing to the Copernican theory uh, mm-hmm. of, of the earth moving around the sun. You know, he wasn't being polite by saying this. He was he was completely destabilizing the accepted thoughts of the time. This is why the Inquisition locks him in his house. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you need to be able. This is why we've had this this week. So Cambridge University voted on the, the vice chancellor wanted to put through an amendment to their free speech policy where where which would stipulate that you would have to be respectful of other people's opinions, right? The problem is you can't be respectful of other people's opinions in a free society. If you want anything to change, if you want mm. to challenge anything, it involves a degree of re- disrespect. In fact, often you challenge what you perceive to be wrong because you don't respect the view. So so um, this guy, Arif Ahmed, um, who's a, I think he's a philosophy lecturer at Gonville and Keyes College, he pushed through an amendment saying that what it would say is that you have to be tolerant of other people's viewpoints. Now that I can get on board with because tolerance okay. implies an acknowledgement of disapproval. And that's why tolerance wow. is such an Im- important element of the liberal idea is that you don't, I don't, right, I don't respect your view, but I will tolerate it so that we can talk about it and therefore violence does not ensue. It's actually a really, it's a really important distinction that is rarely made. So when people demand tolerance, and sorry, demand respect, yeah. you can't have it. In fact, that, that causes me to disrespect them more. Because it's not voluntary, and without voluntary, there's no. They're, they're not respecting you and your ability to choose whether they're being. It's a demand valuable. that you defer to them. It's a demand for deference. You must respect me. That's that's what a, an oligarch says, or you know, this isn't. Yeah. That's not no. You uh, well, I mean, it's the old thing that we used to say at school. You know, you, you don't demand respect, you earn it, and that mm. that's that, that's what it is. But 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 tolerance, I think, is key. I think. If you don't have tolerance in society, it descends into chaos. Hmm. And it seems to be the case that it's the uh, centralized authority that you're most wary of. It's the legislation and the legalization or illegalization of expression that's often. Yeah, it really worries me. Like any, anything that gets codified yeah. uh, like that is, 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 is terrifying for, to me because once these, once these liberties are eroded, they're hard to win back. Very easy to wear them away and destroy them, uh, but you know hmm. they don't come back. And, and 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 unscrupulous governments of the future will will be delighted that we we granted them these powers and the the, the tools with which to dominate and control the the, the demos. Hmm. Um, so so it, it it's not it's why every tyranny that comes to power, first thing they do, freedom of the press gone, hmm. freedom of assembly gone. Look look at the the the, the emergency decree that Hitler instituted after the Reichstag fire, the first decree was about freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly. They're gone. 
because this is these are emergency powers and this is what we need to do uh it, you know it's 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 too dangerous and i'm not i'm not this alarmist kind of person who's saying oh my god we're on the verge of gulags we're on the verge of like complete catastrophe and chaos what i'm saying is there are are fissures in 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 the barricade that we put up to protect ourselves from the erosion of civilization and those fissures are widening and you have to be very very vigilant because you don't want to grant the state these powers because it can have that slippery slope of i mean people say the slippery slope thing is a fallacy well let's look at it this way uh if you would have said to someone in the uk 15 years ago that the police would be arresting people for non-crime you would not have been able to find a single person who would believe that could conceivably be true similarly when um Marcus Meekin, Count Dankler, was uh, uh, prosecuted for uh, a, a joke video that he put online, actually prosecuted in a court of law in the UK. That would have been unthinkable 10 years before, right? And at that point, people were saying, well, you know, it's just one guy on YouTube. It's not like, it's not like the police are investigating actual professional comedians. And, 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 and I was like, but it, it could happen. They're like, no, that's the slippery slope fallacy. What happens last year? Joe Brand, very famous comedian in the UK, is investigated by the police for a joke. So every time they say the slippery slope thing doesn't work, I just point <laughs> at the history. I just point at the timeline. Like you can see it happening from point to point. So it's not it's not a fallacy. It's a demonstrable truth. Yeah, I never so, understood why that particular you know observation is called a fallacy, other than people just denying well, that things are escalating no i mean look there is a point to it insofar as like when people when we were having the gay marriage debates in this country some okay. people were saying well this will mean okay. that by next year you'll be able to marry your dog um that is a kind of i mean no one has ever proposed that we should be able to marry dogs well, and some I know, people have married trees i'm sure one one woman married they? herself last week Someone married themselves. Is that one of those auto-eroticism things? I, I think it was just she was done with men thing. She declared herself an I, island. Have, have you looked into the auto-eroticism thing and the auto, auto-sexuals, they're called? I mean, it's, it's almost as though these sort of new invented sexualities are kind of narcissistic in basis. You think? I, I mean, it's weird, isn't it? It's weird that that might, that, that might happen. Wait, is, is auto, auto-sexual that's, that auto, you can identify as that? Yeah, are they on yourself. the flag yet? Do oh, they have their own flag? Everyone's got that. I mean, I guess they don't fly it because it's all used Look, up. The flags are invented right from the get-go, right? You get a flag, right? If you oh, want okay. to invent a sexuality... We could, why don't we invent a sexuality now? Well, maybe, maybe we've got, we've got a... a <laughs> I could just, like, take a little uh, picture of uh, three pixels on your... Uh, uh, we'll have that bright blue and that dark red. Yeah, the, you, the we, we can make the flag. and that, I'm happy to have just your face with the islands behind you as the flag for whatever sexuality we want to invent right now. Okay. What yeah, do you want it to be? Um, uh, uh, what, what is that? Ar- Archipelagosexual? I don't know Ar- how you... Archipelagosexualis or some, <laughs> something remotely Latin. Or, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But nobody said, you know, I mean, this is the thing. So I think, I think, I think observing the slippery slope thing is, is reasonable. One thing doesn't necessarily lead to another. Gay marriage doesn't lead to, to uh, dog sex. Well, the... the... <laughs> This is this is the this is the question though on on another level that the push for let's say for example the push for gay rights specifically in marriage was then um, 
kind of overtaken or the next step for all these institutions where they're yeah. going to push for trans rights, within, which then goes through and actually erodes the rights that they just won through gay right. rights by eroding these categories of sexuality, for instance. Yeah. There is um, – could be a worry do – you, do you worry about the, the blowback or the pushback or uh, the, 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 a snap backing to a, a reactionary or more conservative uh, buckled-down time? Um, yeah. Of course, because the the big myth is that we are uh, anything that happens is progress. It, it's perfectly possible to re- regress. I've mm-hmm. seen evidence of it all over the place. I mean, certainly we are regressing in terms of educational standards, uh, mm-hmm. in terms of what people learn and what people know. Um, uh, the, these things are not really uh, questionable. I think that's definitely the case. So it's perfectly possible to regress, and it's and it, and it means you have to do something about it. You know, yeah. I mean, if you look at if you look at exam papers, the equivalent exam papers of like, say, uh, a, a GC, a GCSE. I took GCSEs, OK, which when I was 15 or whatever. But when, um, you know, the, the generation before me, when they were taking their O levels, if you look at those examination papers, they're like, they're like, what is this? Did Stephen Hawking write this? This is this is insanely complicated. And it's just such a massive drop. And partly that's political. You know, every successive government wants to show that it is improving educational standards. So part of that is grade inflation. It means that more people get A's. It means it's easier to get the top grades mm-hmm. now than it ever was. In fact, when I was a teacher, we were told that, you know, uh, that, that a, a an A today is the equivalent of of, of a C yesterday or something like this, you know. So it's like it it it's it's not no teacher would deny that this is the case, and that's mm-hmm. that's a problem, you know, because if people aren't pushed when they're kids, when they're pupils, that you now I'm quite conservative when it comes to education. I think I think people need to have a secure body of knowledge. I think they need to learn things. Mm-hmm. I think kids should be told taught to 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 learn poems by heart and 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 learn data and facts and, and you know historical dates. Uh, because that's what was missing from my education. And as a result, I'm constantly playing catch up. That's why I read all the time, because I feel like I was failed as a child. Hmm. Okay. Not failed, but failed, I guess, in a way. Not failed, given by, effort, yeah. failed by the educational system, which is which sounds like a, a, a neat way to blame other people for my own shortcomings. Hmm. Um, and if that hmm. is the case, then so be it. Well, Perhaps uh, I need that. On the horizon, do you have any... Uh inclination to open an andrew doyle institute of uh youth mental upbringing or something like that do you, do well, you want to like affect the youth in some way i, How have, are you gonna reach I don't them? like children so no but also you don't like children i don't like being around them I don't not even like baby jesus mm. Well, the baby jesus is in my heart all the time anyway okay i, I think i, I, I don't like sure. did you know in latin america they have the baby Jesus helped Santa to deliver the presents. Did you know that? Oh, what? No. Yeah, that's like it's like a tradition in, in South America. Just the baby flying Jesus. around in a diaper, kind of like yeah, yeah, delivering some some of the gifts. That's their tradition. I did not know child that. labor. You see, well, um, but I would say that uh, I would. I think it would be a. I think teaching is the best thing you can do with your life. I think. Okay. Um, I think because the institutions are, are met are screwed i think we are going to rely on people who are setting up private institutions that restore academic respectability things like ralston college that stephen blackwood does um but, but it, it takes the uh resources it's uh, the financial resources 
uh, and the energy and commitment and all the rest of it and the patience and and mm. all the stuff that I just I don't have all of that I don't have that kind of discipline you know I'm a I'm a writer I'm a comic I don't okay I, so it's it's not something I do I wouldn't have the skill set or the money to do that I mean look at the tree look at the Christmas tree that is a shoddy tree that is a cheap plastic tree <laughs> I think it's, it's a not great a real tree. tree it looks yeah. really good it it appears does it high quality yeah. Oh, well, that's, I mean, that's because I've draped a lot of tinsel. And, you know, some of those baubles, they didn't come cheap. Because what, you're do- what we're doing there is I'm shielding the, 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 the paucity of the tree itself. I'm, I'm, I'm dressing it up, you know, in the way that you can scrub up. In the way that Jack in Titanic, you know, when, when he gets into the suit, Kathy Bates put him in, puts him in the yeah, suit. Yeah, yeah. He scrubs up really well. You'd never know he was a pleb. You'd never know that he was cargo. Because he yeah. goes down there and they think he's a gentleman. That's the tree. Well, you know, you drape it with sufficient... De- decoration and, and anyone can be fooled you were fooled well, I think would you ever here i think there's something quite esoteric going on here i think about this is education a, about life okay i think there's something about su- the, the, the conflict between superficiality and, re- and reality yeah i think we've hit on something here are you more superficial than you are real official <laughs> real official um i don't i well that's a big question. That's not one that we can delve into now. I think we should go back to the tree. Okay. Because but, although it is a metaphor for something else, it is also the limit of the conversation, I think. Is I don't Titania want to the tinsel upon your uh, political <laughs> beliefs? <laughs> well, actually, now that you come to say that, that is an accusation that is leveled at me quite a lot. Uh, that, that I'm using Titania as a shield uh, in order to say the things I really want to say, but I'm, I'm hiding behind a, a woman to do it because I'm a cowardly patriarchal male. <laughs> Uh, what they don't realise is sometimes writers create fictional characters, don't they? Uh, I don't know if you know no. about this. But this this isn't is something that like, writers often do. Isn't that Freudian, though? Like, we, we only create characters in order to hide and express things that we're not allowed to. Is that right? But, 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 but you could say that about absolutely anything. That anything we do... Well, that's what Freudian, Freud did say. <laughs> that absolutely everything has a sexual impulse. Um, yeah. no, I've had, I've had, I, I've had people accuse me of uh, inventing Titania because I want to I want to bang her uh, or I've got like some kind of <laughs> like you know it's my it's like my my sexual fantasy it could be a fetish man I'm like sure I, some people yeah. like dream of her that way I'm well, sure like that the rule 34 have t- has taken her somewhere well yeah but the woman the, the Titania face is a composite of four different women's features um so in a sense I've put together sort of like Frankenstein and I've two created... of them are your mother right like Oh, well, that, that's the thing. Maybe one of them is my mother. I mean, like there could be Freudian elements into all of this stuff. You can you can interpret this however you want. Uh, it, it it makes me like the two teenagers in Weird Science, you know, who create Kelly LeBrock with a Barbie doll. You know, yeah. that's that's yeah. what I am in this in it's this Titania. Mm. But actually, what it is really is um, I wanted to satirize something, so I created a character with which to do that. It really yeah. is as straightforward as that. Well, I'm sure there's things inside of there, though, aren't there? Like, don't you like you? you, you she speaks to you, and you're like, "Wait, that's see, a little too close to home, to Tanya." No, Ben, you did this to me last time. You, you, you have your cod psychology. You, you're, you're trying cod, to psychoanalyze me. Cod piece psychology. <laughs> it, it makes me very, it makes me very uncomfortable. Sorry. It should be called cod piece psychology, actually, rather than cod psychology, because that's what this is. Yeah. See, cod psycho- cod psychology just sounds like you're trying to psychoanalyze a fish. Codpiece psychology suggests that you are trying to conceal something or engorge a certain aspect <laughs> of, your, of your physical anatomy, which I'm sure you have no need to do. 
I don't I don't need to do that. Do, do you have any plans for like a Blues Clues, like a kids program that teaches liberal values? Is no. that is that in your head? You don't like 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 some sort of like animated special where you go through all the different rights that are based uh, so uh, free society is actually, based on. This has actually been proposed to me, but but the trouble is again, like I don't know how to talk to children. I don't think I could. I don't know how I would write for children, or or you know, I get very frustrated. But when I was a school teacher, I was very okay. good at teaching the smart kids. Yeah, and I was very bad. I really I I really failed the kids that were were, were had struggled. Because I just lose patience. I remember saying to one boy, I'd explained how apostrophes worked for about half an hour. And at the end, he said to me, but I still don't understand where you put the, is it to go before the S or after the S? And I just said to him, look, I've explained it to you in the most simple, basic way I can. I, I'm done. If you don't get it by now, there is no more that I can do. Now that's a terrible thing for a teacher to say. Well, and um, you didn't. You could have broken out into a musical number at that point. Think, like well, that's uh, all you needed to do. And you have Some that skill of, set. Yeah, well, that's why they do, they, they do mnemonics and things like that. And, and, and yeah, you could, I, I totally get it. You could, t- you, well, ses- that's what Sesame Street does, isn't it? Like a song about apostrophes and you'll learn it. But a bit, so many adults don't know. It's yeah. so basic. This is what I don't forgive it. Like, I can forgive an awful lot. I can forgive, you know, murder even, and you know, and, and, and torture and all the rest of it. But I cannot excuse the misuse of apostrophe. That, to me, is the, 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 the red line. As far as I'm concerned. Well, I'm glad we're not talking about the Oxford comma, something a little well, higher brow than that. But but the Oxford comma is actually an option insofar as either using the Oxford comma or not, uh, both are legitimate. Now, I happen to like the Oxford comma because I feel it clarifies certain things in certain points. But I, 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 I think when it comes to using an apostrophe... Uh, after the S, when the word is already plural, fuck off, mate. Not having it. Wait, do you, you want an apostrophe and another S on a plural word? Well, if you say the children's toys, yeah. because there are many children, and you put the apostrophe after that S, you deserve to die. <sighs> Look, this, I'm not... Okay. I'm not messing around here, Ben. We've, well, if, I know. If, I'm, just, I'm just trying to I figure out... legislation... Yeah, limit speech. That's it. Yeah, that's what I. Want. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this is like a this is another level of speech, though. This is, you're 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 operating on the semiotic level, not the semantic level. You're you're operating on the syntactical level, like how it's actually put exactly. together. So exactly. I can respect that because uh, you probably have ancestors dating back that have been working with these printing presses for centuries. Probably you have a lot of lead, probably my, my in dad, your genetic my makeup. My dad was a printer. My dad was a printer. He was. Yeah, I mean, he's retired now, but he was a printer, yeah. Well, th- there we go. So that, that's why. Full circle. <laughs> that explains. We're back to the nativity. I just wanted the nativity story. Uh, that little, how that little apostrophe came to being that grew into okay. Andrew Doyle. Do, do you want the actual nativity story? you want the, the, the story of the apostrophe? <laughs> really? <laughs> how boring. <laughs> I knew someone. So I knew someone at Oxford who wrote a thesis on the use of parentheses in early modern poetry so so you know uh, no those are inverted commas parentheses oh okay yeah and so so in other words he'd fixated not only on a very specific the the very specific literature of a specific time period but the use of this particular form of punctuation and he spent three years on that he wrote a book on it okay now i'm sure that 
I'm sure that's very valuable, and I'm sure like it's a contribution to knowledge, as all doctoral theses must be. Uh, but wow, what a boring! I mean, you may as well be an earthworm at that point. Well, you know? there's got to be something going on with the parentheses. Um, <laughs> again, you see, this is you with your Freudian obsession. Like you, well, I gotta you can't open let the door go. What, what do you you can't you can't let anything the, go. the cat's have, right there I, could, well, oh the cat's there convenient she, convenient she's, she's scratching so when you get into when someone pushes you and and things get a bit awkward the cat appears <laughs> you're the you're yeah. like a it's like a bull in a china shop but it's a very effete bull uh in the china shop you're of my of my inquiry bull? yeah yeah i i have all these beautiful questions just yeah. on shelves and you come in here and you just like start banging them up Maybe no, that's what no you meaning. Need. Nothing Maybe means that's... anything. Because I think people give you an easy ride. You know, you sit here asking the questions, and it makes you feel like a god, and that's why you do it. <laughs> no, um, no like some... not like God, like you know, like in Job. It, technically, it's called the accuser. It's not like a quite, and someone has to pull you down from your pedestal, <laughs> and someone has to keep it real, and that's what yeah. I'm all about. I appreciate that. Okay, festooning Good. my my uh, my tree with your tinsels. There we go. Back to the metaphor again. <laughs> what did, what were we talking about? I don't know. Well, we were talking about values of liberal society, and then I, yeah. I brought up children, and that you kind of lost it when, when I. No, I didn't lose it. No, look. Actually, you know, I think cruelty to children is one of the worst. The things I cannot tolerate more than anything else. I do, what, all I'm talking about is you can't have a conversation with them because their minds their brains aren't fully formed so so they say really stupid things and and so therefore i lose i lose patience with them okay that's all so you know and you know they're not very good at you know like renovating the house or you know they're not they don't have much use um you know they but they're perfectly fine and and necessary actually i think humanity would be greatly impoverished without children um, you know, and um, I just don't want to talk to them about literature and the arts and things okay. like that. Well, I'm I'm just saying that you have the capacity to create literature and arts that I would do. instill these liberal values in them before it's too late. No, I think you need to be someone like J.K. Rowling or someone who knows the register okay. of, a, of a child's mind. I think you need someone who can write in that way. You know, I would, I would, I would, I would. I think I'm too verbose, you hmm. know, and I think it is a flaw, but I, I don't, you know, no, children's literature is not. Why are you trying to get me into children's literature? I just, I just wrote a children's uh, book through Titania, didn't I? You know, there we go. I, I yeah, but that's you called had my it. first little book of intersectional activism. So it's not like, <laughs> you know, it's not like the most accessible. Kids I, I'm sure. Park. Well, I don't know. Have you read Kendi's book, uh, the, how to raise an anti-racist baby? Of course, because it's like three words long. It's, it's because it's what, it's he's got what, the I mean, register. <laughs> yeah, it's seven. It's seven or eight pages long, and it's just those big, thick board. Yeah, pages. It's it's you know, it's hardly a weighty tome. No. Um, it's it's funny. I think it's a funny book, but I I know he didn't intend it to be funny. Yeah, I I just can't I can't stand the 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 meter or the rhyme scheme of it it, it drove, that drove me up the wall really. i didn't even go that far i just it's at the point at which you it was you know sort of suggesting that babies need to acknowledge their racism you just think <laughs> you know that you can't take this seriously you really can't you know uh 
And it's funnier that because his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, is so earnest and and, and in in its style, and you know, it's it's uh, you know, he does that thing of he goes back through key moments in his life and then relates each each moment to to a broader theme, which is actually quite a smart thing to do. And um, <laughs> but there's a certain gravitas to the style there, and then you and then he writes a book for kids and. He, he can't shake off these 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 concepts that kids are obvious. Look, it's incoherent enough to adults, but you're gonna you're gonna throw it at a child. I mean, what what is the matter with you? It's nuts. <laughs> yeah. Here's and also, there's something about. I tell you what, the thing about his book, which I just I could not stand, is this continual emphasis on bodies. I can't bear it. I find it so dehumanizing. Every other page, he talks about white bodies or black bodies or bodies of color, and and I think. I just think it's dehumanizing. I just think you're you're reducing people to just flesh and matter, and and um, you know, there's no sense of the numinous. There's no sense of the, the the sanctity of life or what we might call spirituality or whatever. There's no mm. sense that we are any more than just collections of of, of nerve, bundles of nerves and muscle and tissue and bone. And I just think it's uh, as someone who 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 values the arts, which I think do expose the numinous in humanity. I can't stand that sort of thing. And I also think it's quite contradictory because because so many of the sort of social justice people are pushing for greater humanity, greater empathy, greater compassion, but they're just talking about us like we're lumps of meat. Hmm. Is that how we're supposed to feel about each other? Me, well, you and I. I no, just like humanity, according to the social justice. Right the, no, I'm not flirting with you, Andrew Doyle. Well, it came across that way. You need to you need to you need to watch out for that. All right, take another person. sip of your iced wine. <laughs> I now you're trying to get me drunk. Sure. <laughs> Isn't it time? It's 7:30. I've seen house. you I've seen you tweet your ostensibly heterosexual tweets. I know what you're doing. <laughs> no, you're not fooling anyone. No, I need I need to be ambiguous. That's where that's where all the the money lies actually. That's my grift. It, yeah. That's your grift, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. The, you know the I've got, I've got to thing. Where I I, I decided that I, I block, I'm blocking everyone on Twitter who calls anyone a grifter, even if I'm not involved in the conversation, because I've just lost complete patience with it. It's, it's a wonderful a stu- word. It's so stupid. Come on. It does, what it basically means is I don't agree with what you're saying, so I'm just going to pretend that you're only saying it for money. What an idiotic thing to say. Like, come on. Um, no, I'm sick of it. I hate that word. Also, I just hate, I hate words that become cliches. I hate words that become... This is why... Even things like I've stopped, I don't use the word woke very often now, but it's really yeah. hard to describe the woke movement, right? Isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's really hard. Mm-hmm. And they did that deliberately. Um, so sometimes you can't really get around it, but I try my best to avoid the term. Even though I wrote a book with that word as the title, I try yeah. to avoid it now because I think it's just, you know, I was doing that back when it was trendy, right? Like, like, yeah. like, that's what I tell myself. Um, but, <laughs> but now <laughs> I, I just avoid it. Any kind of cliche. George Orwell constantly goes on about this in his essays, like the avoidance of cliche. It's really, really important to him. because, And, I, and it makes sense because if you are, every time you deploy a cliche, you're, you're using someone else's mode of thought. You're not really thinking for yourself. Um, so I get the point. And it's, it's you know, I mean, I, I just wrote an article the other day and I, I found myself, I was like, how else can I explain this? How can I... It was a cliche that I was using, and I can't remember what it is now. I did find a way around it. Uh, it took that little bit of extra effort. But as a result, it, it's it's a much better piece. Because whenever I read a piece and I come across a cliche, it sort of stops me short. And I sort of think, ah, couldn't you have come up with something a little bit better than that? And some people's essays, some people's articles are just completely composed of cliche. It's just one mm-hmm. cliche after another. And, you know, any any kind you look at the sort of social justice stuff, it's all slogans. 
It's all mm. the same thing. They're pretty much templates, aren't they? Every yeah. statement that has been put out in support of, of, of uh, critical race theory or Black Lives Matter or systemic racism from every major institution, including uh, the, mm. the, the UK universities, including this body called University UK, which just put about out a thing. And it's using the same stuff. Lived experience, systemic racism, um, or uh, just these phrases. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and no one's thinking. Right? It's, 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 it's just the repetition of a prayer. Yeah. And, and, and that, that to me is is bogus and boring. And um, I know Christopher Hitchens went on this, about this a lot as well, about the idea of cliche. It is a kind of, it's just a really good tip for any writers. It's just that whenever you find yourself, you, I mean, you can use cliche if you subvert them, and that's quite an interesting thing to do. But, but, but once you find yourself falling into cliche, ask yourself, I think, ask yourself whether there's a better way of expressing it. And if you find a better way of expressing it, you end up thinking more clearly because you've had to come a bit at it yourself. Mm-hmm. I think cliche is a kind of dead end to a train of thought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, or like a skipping stone or just a unconscious, it's just an maybe, unconscious step. Maybe skipping stone is a better way of putting it. It's, it's a way to skip over uh, something that might otherwise require some challenging going on. Okay. You know, it's, it, you know, but we all, we all do it. We're all quite lazy thinkers, aren't we? Well, if, yeah. So I guess uh, instead of using the word cliche, you should think of another word for cliche yeah, but you could say that about absolutely any word in the dictionary couldn't you like the word the you know the definite article has become a cliche because it's too commonly used um but but where are we going to get to i mean that would make speech very different who was it who wrote that novel without using the letter oh, yeah e? uh Perec? i can't remember it's that french guy yeah and then so somebody translated it into english without using the letter e i know or... i mean impressive but dull yeah. i mean i you know, yeah. that's that's a dull thing. That's like someone who has not much going on in their life, but impressive. It's an impressive feat. Mm-hmm. I'll grant mm-hmm. you that. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you uh, are you ever attracted to uh, that form of uh, writing prompt, like that kind of uh, mathematical or uh, no. some something like that? Like I'm gonna, you, know, ha- you you put a writing restraint on what you're gonna do. It, no, the only time I've ever done that is if, and, and I shouldn't say this because. Oh, well, anyway, the only time I've ever done that is when I've written poetry. And I don't like admitting that I've written poetry because I think it's... Uh, oh! I mean, I have as Titania. Um, but uh, also poetry, which I'm, I'm a really bad poet. So Wait, hold on. Um, so you're okay with no- being known as a mus- musical writer, a writer of musicals, but yeah, not of, of, of poetry? Well, because I I'm not a prolific writer of poetry. I've just occasionally had a stab at it. And, uh, yeah, and but I, why are you... You're embarrassed by it. This is another tender yes. spot we've arrived at well i've, I've destroyed most of it yeah oh cool. it's yeah so um i think i think all good writers should destroy anything that is below par i think that's really important i really love the fact that when terry pratchett died you know he needed his, his will he said that all of his hard drives with the unpublished novels had to be crushed by a steamroller oh wow. i think that's a really really good approach to these things do they do that they did that's what kafka did. wanted and a lot of writers i think it's what I think it's what Nabokov wanted. And there was a bit of a controversy about the, the novel that was published after Nabokov died. Do you remember the one? It was, it was sort of kept in a vault for ages. Mm-hmm. And then there was a big debate about whether it should be published because he specifically said that he didn't want it published. And I think there's something to that. I think you have to respect a writer and their legacy, you know, because, you know, anyway. Um, where, why did we get on? I was talking about um, um, poetry. poetry. Okay, so here's what I would say. is If you are a poet, which I'm not, um, but if you are, I think it's a really good thing to uh, to impose those um strictures on yourself i think stephen fry stephen fry wrote a book about this called the ode the ode less traveled 
It's clever, <laughs> right? Uh, the, uh, and he's taken the um, he's taken the idea of he, he he just goes through the principles of scansion and prosody, the stuff that people don't know about about you know meter, you know. Um, and if you say to yourself, okay, I'm going to write. Uh, I'm going to write a sonnet or I'm going to write, you know, what, whatever it might be. I'm going to write a poem strictly in uh, trachaic tetrameter. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm going to do. Rhyming couplets, trachaic tetrameter. Uh, and, and, and if you set yourself that parameter and you have to start thinking about the rhythm and where the stress falls on the syllable, um, it, it, it's, it's, it, he, he puts it like it's, um, it's like you're cultivating a garden and you've got sort of borders. I can't remember exactly what the metaphor he uses. I'm really ruining it here. Um, but it, but it, but it, you can create something very beautiful uh, because you put some boundaries onto yourself. Um, so I think that's a very good thing. Actually, when I wrote the first Titania book, one of the because she's she doesn't respect all that stuff, so she's like free verse. You know, it's all over the place. There's one well, there's a haiku, but it's just one word repeated. Um, but there's a um, there's one poem which is about Brexit, which is a um, Elizabethan sonnet. Um, which means that it, it, it adheres precisely not just to the uh, the rhyme scheme and the uh, and the pentameter and the uh, and, and the i it's, it's also iambic so it, so the stress will always fall on the second syllable uh, so and, it, and and I did that just to see just because for the fun of it really like I thought you know it'd be, it'd be great if there was one poem that was actually strictly cultivated according to a, a style. And it's and it's really good for it's really good to develop a distinctive poetic voice as well. If you think of someone like Spencer, who created his own what we call the Spencerian stanza, which if you read the Fairy Queen, you can that's the the the, the, the register within which it's written. Or even Robbie Burns. Robbie Burns has a very distinctive form, which really suits his. You know, Robbie Burns has got that very kind of. Well, he's funny. That's the first thing. But he's also it's 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 also like dance. His mm-hmm. stuff. It's very rhythmic. It, it propels you forward. Mm-hmm. And there's something about his specific verse form which lends itself to the the sudden intrusion of the comedic into something that is otherwise grave. You know. And I'm not talking about other like sometimes there are broadly comedic poems like the one about the louse uh, on the, on the woman's hair in church. You know. Um, but, but but there's also. Um, but but there's, the, even when he's writing about something serious, that I can't even describe it. But that, you, have a look, and you'll see what I mean. If you look at this verse form and you read it out loud, mm-hmm. and you'll see what I mean. Is that is is that uh, the, the 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 last rhyme and the the second and the third to last rhyme? It, there's something about the way that's structured that creates this comedic potential, and mm-hmm. it, and it really it, it. I'm not making any sense of this, but it just it just works. Yeah. Have you I, read well, Tamashanta? Have you read Tamashanta? Tamashanta. Yeah. Do you have it on your shelf? You want to read it to the audience? Um, I couldn't. Right, I couldn't because I can't read Scott's dialect. I, I can't. What? As in, I would make, I would mess it up. I can't. I can't read it out loud. It would sound stupid. In my, that, isn't that, uh, isn't that part of the fun? Like, yeah, but you have to put on a Scottish accent, and I can't, can't do a Scottish. Why can't you do a Scottish accent? They're like how, how many? Like they're like twenty miles away. Why would you expect me to be able to do a Scottish accent? What are the most difficult accents to do? Because they're all living on the same island. Okay. Well, can you do a Canadian accent? Yeah, you're they're right up the road. Island. Sorry. Can you? Sorry. Can you do a Mexican accent? Well, yeah, but not without uh, unintentionally appropriating the culture. Can you Can you do Argentinian? You're on the same island. I mean, it's all connected. Well, no, there's the... We severed ourselves from the South. Uh, no, you Americans. didn't build the wall. No, we, we so, built this trench, uh, this, this trench? Uh, canal. It's a, there's a canal. I and does that, the canal prevent accents from 
tra- traversing? I think well, we do what we can. Um, but I don't, do I don't know Argentinian. Right. Argentinian is a lo- lot further away than Scotland. Listen, I'm happy for you. Well, yes, but metaphorically, it's not. I'm happy. Okay. I'm happy to attempt a Scottish accent if you attempt a Scottish accent. A Scottish accent. I can do uh, Sean Connery. Yeah, that's that's what bit. I thought as soon as you did that. Sean Connery. Yeah. Well, can, can, you. So you can't read his poems without the Scottish accent. I think. I. I think the poems are ill-served by a voice that is not authentically Scottish. You, your standards are so high, Andrew Doyle. Like, they must I just be. want to give like I just want to give a Christmas special to the audience of you reading a poem. Tamashanta. Tamashanta. Okay, Tamashanta. so it's a narrative poem. You should read it. So it's a narrative poem. No, you're not going to read it for us. But I'll tell you what it is. I, I just like the concept. So in in the poem, <laughs> the guy's been out drinking till late. And he's really drunk, and he goes to he, he's riding home, and he passes this haunted church, and the church is and you can see inside. Because there's all this stuff going on in the church. And what it is, it's the, the devil is there playing some bagpipes. And there's all these witches and demons dancing around. Hmm. And he watches it. And he can't help himself. Because one of the witches is kind of hot. And um, she's got this short skirt on. And he can't help himself but shout out. He says, he says well done, Cutty Sark. Uh, Cutty Sark means short skirt. As in, good on you for having the short skirt. Oh, I thought that was a scotch. It is, but the Scotch is probably named after the tea ship, the Cutty Sark, which is a ship that you can still visit in Greenwich in London. It's an old, old an old tea merchant ship, uh, which is still intact, even though it went on fire about eight years ago, but it's been restored. Um, you should go and if you ever come to London, go and check out the Cutty Sark. But the Cutty okay. Sark is named after this line from Burns's poem, Tamashanta, because uh-huh. because Cutty Sark is Scots Gaelic for a uh, Scots um, dialect for short skirt. Um, and in fact, the, the figurehead on the Cutty Sark ship is, I think, the witch. The, I can't remember her name, oh. but the witch who has the short zert. So that's where that comes from. Um, but they chase him. They chase him and, and he gets away. He gets to the bridge, Brigadoon. Brigadoon. And he gets to the bridge. Um, but but they, they almost catch him. They pull his horse's tail off. Um, but, but, he, but he gets away. But, but what I love about that idea is the... Um, um the fact that sexuality is so overpowering i mean burns had sex with so many women and impregnated so many women he had a real um and this is why lots of people are trying to problematize burns now and say you know he was a misogynist and he was he was always objectifying women well yeah um but but that doesn't take away the importance and the majesty of his of his work in fact you know often i think i think with his poetry the the sort of unbridled sexuality it's so overt Mm-hmm. It's so mm-hmm. explicit, you know. Mm-hmm. As a woman who talks about how she needs uh, a lady needs a good nine inches, things like that. Oh wow! Seems bit, okay, seems a bit a bit much to me. But um, so the um, the, <laughs> the but but the the, the fact that the, the the character cannot even when faced with demons, devils, the threat of perdition, yeah, cannot stop himself <laughs> from basically catcalling this hot chick. You know, it's it's like even at that moment, even at the moment at the most risk, where it's risk to your immortal soul, you can't help getting a boner. Wow. That's that's what it's about, and that's kind of, and that's and there's something about the power of human sexuality. You know, during the lockdown, I finally got around to reading Clarissa by Samuel Richardson, which is one of the it's a massive novel, it's a million words long, and mm. it's all about um, 
you know, this, I mean, I'd read Pamela at university and I did started to read Clarissa. So I'd got sort of halfway through and never got around to it. So I decided, no, I'm just going to read it because it's, it's, it's long, interminable. It's, it, you know, it's written in letters, but it's the, uh, it's the unbridled sexuality. It's the fact that, the, that this character Lovelace um, will do anything to secure effectively sex with this woman, which he, which he dresses up as, as, as love and desire and, and, and idealization of the of the love object and all the usual stuff and really mm-hmm. it's about sex it's about lasciviousness concupiscence you know mm-hmm. um and 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 i'm fascinated by that i'm fascinated by the way that some of my heroes in terms of literature in terms of art they always fall because of sex they always fall because of sexual desire even someone like oscar wilde you know who ends up saying that bosey that lord alfred douglas is the finest poet of his generation Oscar Wilde said that. If you read Bosey's poems, you know that not to be the case. And anyone who who had a familiarity with poetry, I mean, they're not actually. There's not. There's some decent work there, but it, he's not by any means the finest poet of his generation. And if Oscar Wilde can be so bewitched by him that he can, you know, say this, mm-hmm. then then it's it's his downfall. It's 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 um. So there's something to me that I think is quite interesting and funny. There's something quite. And what, what I think Robbie Burns does very well is that is that it's something tragic. There's nothing more humiliating than when people are uh, at fall because of sexuality. If you think about politicians as well, there's nothing more. There's nothing more human. There's nothing more understandable. Um, but there's also nothing more animal and primal and embarrassing. Mm-hmm. And that's why I never would like to. I would never shame someone for sex scandals or you know I, because I, I I think people people stop thinking in that moment. You know, people, the, the, the sexual urge is so overriding. It's the thing that connects us most with our animalistic nature. It is the thing that breaks through. I mean, Camille Pally writes about this all the time. It's the thing that mm-hmm. breaks through civilization, this this veneer, this patina that we, we put on things, this gloss. All the art, the literature, the innovation, the science, the knowledge that we put on things to, to convince ourselves that we are not animals. Mm-hmm. And yet... Once you get, if you see that demon who you want to bang, you're gonna you're gonna call it out. You're gonna, you're, the, the, <laughs> you know what I'm? You know the 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 it's the 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 incubus will get you. Um, yeah, you know. There's something uh, very sexless about a lot of instances of social justice, or like just that whole movement. There is, and the regurgitation of the cliche kind of thing. There's, no, you're absolutely right. There is a puritanical. Yeah. aspect yeah. to it there's yeah. a mistrust of sex there's a fear of sex there's a um uh, the a cathonic, sens- the yeah sensual the anything to do yeah the chthonic is right because it's 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 anything under the earth it's this stuff that is um yeah. elemental and they don't trust it and they don't and and that's why they call for censorship of you know objectification of of women or or you know well there's certain types of women so you know they can have their free the nipple movement uh, which they see as very empowering but if it's working class women on mm. page three of the sun exposing their breasts that's exploitation if it's mm. if it's women at the darts who walk uh, you know pretty girls who who walk up and down the aisle and they are there for show uh, but those are girls who have made that choice we're not talking about prostitution here this is this is a a, a, a choice that they've made and i i remember 
seeing an interview with one of the girls because this was banned, you know, by the the, the darts association, and 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 one of the girls was on some morning TV show, sort of saying, "Well, that's my livelihood taken away, and actually, I really enjoy it, and I don't feel exploited." You know, she's not having sex with people. She's not, you know, it's not comparable. Wait, um, is this like the throwing the sharp thing across the room darts? Oh, you don't have it, do you? You don't. Have well, I, I just wanted to make sure that that wasn't some sort of weird British acronym for something else. No, it is. We have racing is, over here where people drive around in circles. I, they, they, I, they had the girls that went through. You have all thing. sorts of weird sports, though, don't you? You have, like, r- yeah. wrestling with greased pigs and things. A greased pig wrestling? Uh, that went underground that's... several years ago. No, I think I that's an American tradition, isn't it? I, think I don't all... think it's uh, I, I think... Our, 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 our hog chase. Um, that's, like, colloquial. Greased yeah. pig wrestlemania. Yeah, you have to go to pl- the the land where fences are for that to happen. It's not broadly okay. Uh, televised. Okay, but I'm right. That's yeah. a part of your culture. That's the backbone of your culture. Whereas here we have darts, which you've described very much as throwing sharp sticks at a cork board across the room. Like I just know that there's some distance. Yeah, yeah. You have to be a lot more bulky than you are. You're you're too svelte. So like svelte. in order to play, yeah, like in order to play darts, you would have to be. Uh, a bit more corpulent, shall we say? Yeah, um, it's like bowling. It's the it's British bowling. Have, then you have, you have, to, have to be have the that. shape of a of a sphere. Okay, to, 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 and you're a big thyroidic. Yeah. yeah, and normally you've got a couple of tattoos, maybe a bulldog, that kind of thing. That's very popular. But very maybe very effeminate kind of wrist thing going on. So that is the that is the fundamental contradiction right that you here, just hit very, on, isn't it? Because yeah. it's a very masculine sport. It's very much about it's very butch, and yet the actual movement. Yeah. Is it, is it, so that, yeah, it, it, in a sense, the darts player embodies yes. the duality of human sexuality, masculine human sexuality, and and effeminate. Okay, yeah, the, the, okay. the binary, the dichotomy. I said the hermaphrodite. Okay, right. So the figure of the hermaphrodite, which is of course a a figure that goes back to uh, the, the Greeks and the Romans. You know, Camille uh, Paglia. Yes, or? I mean hermaphro- hermaphroditus. The story of Hermaphroditus, that's where it yeah, that's Greek comes Greco. from. Yes. Yeah. Well, because Hermaphroditus was the child of Hermes and Aphrodite. Yeah, and they, there was a pool and they kind of like the rubbed pool. around. Exactly. And that was the punishment, wasn't it? That was the, that was the punishment. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so Darts. I think the, the dart player is the modern Hermaphroditus. Oh, well, I'm glad I, but, we got there in the, that, that's what we yeah. really wanted to talk about, isn't it? That's, that yeah. was the... <laughs> I, I feel deep. bad for the for the girls that got kicked out of the dart tournament because they yeah, were kind of balancing, well. I, bringing the yeah, feminine I, into that space. I wrote Maybe a play about it for Radio Four um, because darts? it was an interesting, interesting one. Because so I'd, I've written a few plays for Radio Four, which is a BBC radio channel here, and they okay. do this thing called the afternoon play, which is really fun. So you, it's a really good format because it's a forty-five minute play. And writing a play for radio is, is is very interesting because radio listeners are much more attuned to subtlety and nuance and picking up on things, you know, because in a radio script, what you don't want is ex- this sort of expo- expositional dialogue like, um, oh, why have you just walked into this room holding my cat? You know, you, you find a way to do it. You have you, ha- you hear someone come in, you hear a meow and a, ah, and you know the cat has scratched it. You yeah, know? yeah. You don't you don't need to. Uh, a lot of impl- to... implication, yeah. Right, exactly. And and, and radio listeners are just mo- far more attuned to that. So, they, they, so it means you end up having to be really, really subtle. The first radio play I wrote doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't work is because I, I was not sufficiently schooled 
in that style of writing and i was used to the visual you know and when you're accustomed to the visual you can't mm-hmm. you can't you can't change that uh, well you can't change it but you have to learn it and so but then anyway so um, i i'd worked i'd written a few plays with this producer at bbc scotland and she asked me to write a it was really interesting it was a a play sort of play short story only sort of 10 15 minutes long in response to a political event that had happened that week and i had to write the whole thing in a matter of three days oh so that it could then be cast recorded and broadcast so the whole thing happened within a week so it was a really quick turnaround i love the idea of sort of a, a direct political response an artistic political response to a political event and okay. so i wrote this play about do you know it was called poster girl and it was about a girl who had been fired from her job or scapegoated because they, they'd used her as the kind of sexy advertising girl on the poster. But then the, the hotel had been criticised for its uh, objectification of women and she was the one who got blamed and she was the one who lost her job. And so it was about the darts thing oh, because wow. those girls were blamed for an aspect of the culture that wasn't their doing, you know, and I felt it was, huh. it was, it was quite, it was quite sad. It's the only time I've done a direct response thing, except for I, I wrote a short musical about eight years no more than that 12 years ago at a place called the soho theater where we similarly we had a a group of actors a director a writer and we had a week from from a story was decided a new story and we had a week to produce a short play and we wrote a short musical like a 20 minute musical and put it on so by the end of the week we had to put this on with the actors the actors so not only i had to write it within 24 hours because then the musicians had to write the songs to go mm, the music mm-hmm. to go with the songs and then the and then the actors had to learn the lines rehearse it was really fun and the political story was at the time these spanish prostitutes uh, had threatened to withdraw their services until the oh, i wish i could remember the the businessmen and the bankers had sorted out the economic problems effectively oh, okay and I, yeah I'd, I'd have to google because it was so long ago now i'd have to google like the a story. financial crisis kind of thing that were yeah. saved by the hookers yeah it was a it was a it was a big kind of it was an interesting story um and i can't was remember. there a chorus line i do you remember the how they all came out and saved the day like it, oh, was there somehow, a really sexy aria about fiduciary responsibilities no there was something to do with it was two people in a bunker in an apocalyptic world where where spanish zombie prostitutes had taken over oh zombie right. prostitutes wait zombie prostitutes yeah i can't remember how they be- became zombies but there was a, there was a there was a connection that was made i can't remember how i honestly this was a long time ago ben i'd have to go and read the script again and i never do okay. that i never look at all things i've written years ago because they're always terrible but i remember it being a lot of fun mm. You know, that is and I was—I remember a bit when because we had to get a phone call, so we we were going to get the phone call about what the story was had to be. The story was chosen for us by a poll amongst the audience or whatever, and then okay. um, so I got the phone call. I was at the top of the Eiffel Tower. I kid you not, I was at the top of the Eiffel Tower in Paris, and then he phoned and said, "You're going to have to write something about Spanish prostitutes." Um, You're looking down, and so that you know that was quite a dramatic. Paris. Wow, quite, yeah, quite. And a dramatic. the first thing you thought was zombie prostitutes. My first thought was actually Grace Jones, because I was I was on the top of the Alpha Town, as you know, in A View to a Kill. Grace Jones has that fight with Roger Moore, on the, on the. So, but but they didn't like the Grace Jones idea, so I didn't go down okay. that. Road. And also, we didn't think we could get her. She, you know, she's quite difficult to cast. She's, Is she? You know, well, she's in demand. Yeah. Um, 
uh, so I uh, ended up somehow getting to zombie. I can't remember. You see, you do this to me as well. I mean, as well as the psychoanalysis, you 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 get me to probe into memories of my yeah. of my yeah, past. Yeah, that's what we're doing. Yeah, but I didn't plan this. You 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 sort of you. We're making you, you more real, Andrew Doyle. I mean, you do this, we're, don't you? We're you, summoning your spirit. <laughs> you're like a, a necromancer or a. Well, Nexus. yeah. I mean, you're not you're not a zombie yet. Not Prostitute, yet. though, you may do with your writing. I am nocturnal at the moment, though. I am. So I am when, when you're night. when you're writing or I'm when you're rewriting, well, I mean, you prostitute your your thought, your thought, as they say. I suppose we're all or anyone who, who works for money is a prostitute. Maybe maybe a grifter, we could say. Like a, say I'm a grifter. Although the one time I was offered money for sex, I didn't do it. So that's uh, that's you know, it was a taxi okay. driver. I was a, when I was a student, taxi driver oh. offered me money for for sex. And I, I, I actually, I didn't even say no. I pretended that I didn't understand the request. That's the best. That's the best. And, and then, because <laughs> I didn't want to embarrass him, basically. So, you know, I just, I just, I just paid, gave him, gave him a reasonable tip, and uh, and and left, and got on with my day. <laughs> so you don't want to be having sex with a taxi driver in Aberystwyth, and I'm not, I'm not prejudiced against them. But a, a toxiter would be okay. I'm just throwing a, out a toxiter. What's that? Oh, like, isn't that a, a village in Britain? I was just like a, a toxiter. <laughs> like, are you th- are you talking about the cabbies and a toxiter? You toxiter. Okay, there we go. <laughs> the cabbies and you toxiter are, are oh. good for going down on, but in Abernethy, are they? So I, 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 mean, I don't know. I, I'm gonna no. Don't tell you. I, you've clearly there's got to be a map that you're referencing when you're deciding. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Anyway. Well, I don't know how we got onto that. This is too—is this too meandering, Ben? Is this not what you had in mind? I, 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 That's what you accused us of being last uh, time, and, and the audience—the audience enjoys the ability to just slalom along with your beautiful mind. Uh, okay, I think that they appreciate it. Okay, fine. So, well, we, I tell you what—it's good because when I do these, I normally talk about how did I start Tanya McGrath. Yeah. <laughs> and and at that point i am i'm very much on autopilot and well, ju- and just saying the, you know how's your podcast going uh, you started fine. that well, yeah or, i because i was, had this original idea during the uh lockdown to start a podcast like, that was my idea you... it wasn't my idea unfortunately oh. I, 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 although it had always been at the back of my mind i was kind of jealous of what you were doing and and it was always in the back of my mind to do something like that and and then someone at Spike, who is the publication I write for, wrote, uh, suggested it. So the, the, the suggestion came from them, um, and it appealed to me um, because I'm so used to talking to people on podcasts. But on the receiving end, I'm normally the guest, and I thought it'd be quite interesting to to see if I can do it the other way around. And it is a different skill, isn't it? Uh, it's because you're trying to get them to speak. You know, I mean, not in our case because you you know you obviously dominate uh, with your sort of probing. Uh, ver- ver- verging on rapacious line of questioning. Yeah, I um, have very, very vacuous ear canals. They they kind of suck the stories out of people. Oh, is that yeah? Is that what it is? That's what it's it a is. skill. It's a skill because you know I I really admire the, the the great interviews. People like Michael Parkinson. You know I I, I admire the mm. people who could get get people to open up and talk. I haven't really challenged myself on that yet. Insofar as most of the guests I've had are pe- people I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, reasonably well i didn't know katie herzog and jesse single who mm-hmm. um i'd never met them or talked to them at all before 
And so I found that slightly more challenging, actually, because uh, luckily they're so used to talking on podcasts. It, around, it, yeah. it, it did feel quite effortless. But I don't think we broke beyond, uh, you know, what, 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 what strangers would talk about. And that's fine. Um, mm-hmm. my, my goal is to try and do what you do, which is to, to, to sort of expose the soul of the, yeah. of the subject, yeah. Yeah. you know, and, and to get them to say something incriminating and potentially uh, damaging to their reputation, which is what you're well, trying to do to me. The, the, part of, the part of the person where the, the worms and the, the grubs reside, you know, you want that's, them to that's like, what kind of expose yeah, yeah. that, you know. Yeah, and I think, you know, I'm on the verge of it with you. Like, I think I've, 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 I've been quite confessional. I think, I think at this point it's pretty obvious to everybody that you're just a tease. Like, like there's a lot of depth to you, but we get to the edge and then you, you kind of just like, you roll it back, you roll it back. You, is that you what I do? into prostitutes and, and zombie uh, effete dart players. What, what's a dart player? Is there a name for that? Like the dartiste or something like that? Uh, I think it should be dartiste. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it is not dartiste. It's dart player. Oh, damn. You know, but dartiste is brilliant. I, th- I think that that's what they would be called if the French had uh, invaded you guys after darts had come about. But yeah, um, it would. yeah. since you guys pushed them back. I'm going to suggest it. I was never any good at darts. Have you tried darts? Um, It's hard. I've I've thrown some things across the room. Yeah, I didn't ask about your tantrums. I asked about whether you'd attempt darts. (laughs) Darts is yeah, it's it's tough. It's it's and I actually it makes me nervous. um, Anyway, because it's someone throwing sharp objects. It makes me just to be around it because also of course it can deflect. It can hit the uh, metal. There's wire. You know, the, the the cork board is divided by this wire structure. Yeah, and, but and it's all of, adults. It's all consenting adults. Well, there are children in pubs. Are there? Sometimes. Yeah, yeah of course there are. Or dogs. Oh, there's okay. A, and sometimes, you know, if you go to a local pub in a, in a sort of uh, a village somewhere, there's often children gambling around or doing whatever. And, mm, and you okay. know, if you, if you hit the wire and the dark can be deflected, Deflects. all of a sudden yeah. you've got a child that's lost an eye. You'll die. Makes me nervous. Okay, that's yeah. cool. I mean, you don't like living on that kind of danger zone, then uh, and, uh, you appreciate a, certain forms of safe space. I'm a tremendous physical coward, and I will always oh. withdraw from from situations uh, when I feel that my physical safety is compromised. Okay, okay. You know, that's why I'm talking to you over the internet, because I don't feel we can meet face to face. Well, yeah. it's a kind of inner rage to you, and, and, and you could potentially just lash out. There's a lot of testosterone flowing through me right now. I, I know. You're like an X-Man. Yeah. yeah no, okay. I'm basically Wolverine without the basically. claws. Dang, I can't do that. You have, you have metaphorical claws. <laughs> I do. Thank you. Yeah, you do. Thank you for empowering me, Andrew Doyle. Yeah, that's why I'm here. <laughs> so um, when's this uh, free speech book coming out? Very exciting. It is out very quickly. It's out in February. Oh, Wow. Yeah, what is what I mean? So I only, only, you know, it was. And you had apostrophes on the on the cover, didn't you? I well, so I put out because I wasn't sure there were basically a number of designs. There were two that we liked, me and the publisher and my agent, and we couldn't decide, and we put them out, and we I just did a poll on Twitter because like that's really cheap market research, you know. Very cheap. We had like eight thousand people voting on that poll. Nice, you know, and um. And we're not going to go with the way they chose, basically, because it's not a democracy. Um, but but it was pretty, you know, it's pretty close. It was 60-40. And ultimately, the, the the inverted commas thing. So the problem was, so you had the phrase free speech. And the double like E was one. like, the was double clever, E was but... inverted commas. You thought it was tacky, right? 
Yeah. So the double E was inverted commas and the double E in speech was inverted commas. The trouble is that some people thought it looked like free spinach. Um, I think, um, yeah, some people, in fact, you know who said that? Sir Tim Rice, you know, the, 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 the uh, lyricist who, who uh, writes with Andrew Lloyd Webber, he, uh, he oh. commented, he commented and said that it looked like free spinach. And I thought, well, if Tim Rice says it, I'm, you know, I'm not, mm. I'm. He's famously not, anemic too. So he's always thinking about iron. There we go. Factor into. You don't want someone picking up the book thinking they're getting a cookery book. Yeah. Um, and, and then to have me. About soggy greens. About our, our, the creeping authoritarianism of our age. It's not, <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not, it's got to do. And also I thought I liked the other, the other cover. I think we're going with the other cover because I like the, the simplicity of it. I don't want it to be ostentatious. Um, there was a, uh, I'll, I'll put it on the screen. It had like uh, barbed wire. It looked like a crown of thorns kind of thing. It was like yeah. you know, some Christianity kind of echoing in the background there. So I like that as a Catholic. I like the, the, the crown of thorns motif. I also quite like the, um, it's a speech bubble in the shape of barb, barbed wire formed speech bubble, you know. So I quite like that. I thought it, but I, I thought it wasn't too much it wasn't too shouty. It wasn't too gimmicky. Mm -hmm. It was just pretty clear and communicates a message straight away. And also people shouldn't be judging books by their cover anyway. You know, I've half a mind to put a deliberately bad cover just, you know, because I don't believe people should make that prejudgment, but no one would mm. buy it. then. Mm. Um, but the book's out in um, February. So it's a quick turnaround insofar as, you know, I, I, I've been writing it over the past month, mm. really, uh, in quite an intense way. Um, and because it's not just about writing the book, I've also been reading you know, I, I've had to reread all those texts, like yeah. on liberty and Areopagitica yeah. and, and and stuff like that. But also um, the books about free speech, such as "Is Free Speech Racist?" That's one of the recent books about free speech, or hmm. or, or you know, ver 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 the various books. So it's a lot of reading, it's a lot of writing, it's a lot of thinking. Um, because also, I'm, I, like I say, I wanted it to be uh, persuasive, um, and therefore, I, you know, really, I really have been thinking about how best to structure it and how best to phrase phrase the arguments um because i don't want to lose anyone i don't want it to be i don't want it to be off-putting if you don't agree that's the point i want you know I, I i think one of my flaws sometimes when i write essays or articles is that i can be a little bit barbed because i think it's because sometimes i just can't resist if i think of something that's quite clever yeah. and quite funny but it's a bit mean um I, I can't resist just putting it in there, you know. Um, but of course, because so I'm not a natural, I'm not like that in person. But when I'm writing, what are you I think about? sorry, you're always barbing your way through a conversation. Am I? Am I a bar? A that's bar like it's like kind of like Velcro. Like that. That's just how you kind of cling and go make your way I'm forward. A, I'm a bar. I'm a barberetta. I'm a, bar I'm a barber. Okay. Is that, is that what you think of you're me? You're barbiste, maybe. <laughs> I think of myself as more kind of, I don't know, soapy and. You know, slippery and no, no, slippery is worse actually. No, slippery is worse. Like, like, <laughs> like, like hand soap. <laughs> like, yeah, or like detergent. Or I don't. Okay. I, look, yeah, I, you're no, not granulated though. That's for I'm, sure. I, I don't think I'm granulated. Um, so I, I, I think <laughs> I um, what the fuck was I saying? You had to put I, that I, on the back of a burner. You're, you're, you're trying to describe your writing style and, well, and anyway. free speech. Whatever, because actually it's really it's really annoying when writers talk about their style. Um, I, I, but, the point is, I had to put it together quite quickly, and then now um, it's going to come out in February. So, okay. uh, which means that it's going to be. So, for instance, uh, it's just gone to the lawyer and the copy editor. Oh, I, 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 I'm going to get it back. 
he's going to tell me where I could get sued and I'll have to make a few changes. And then um, um, there'll be a couple of corrections when I've uh, typo corrections and stuff like that. And then I have to do another, put it back basically by the, basically by Christmas, I need Mm -hmm. to have the the final proof um, Mm -hmm. so that it can go to print early January. So it's really, really quick. And also then you've got the publicity and all the rest of it. So it's a very, um, but I think it's really, I'm really glad I wrote it because I wasn't expecting to have to write about it. It's really made me think about all of the points. It's really made me consider the other side of the argument okay. and yeah. to give it yeah. its due weight and due respect because I wanted mm-hmm. to, because a lot, I think most of the arguments uh, in favour of restrictions on free speech come from a very good place. And therefore I don't want to be um, just dismissive of those arguments. So, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to take them on board uh, like an adult you know sensibly and so writing the book and as you know when you write something this is why writing for spike has been so good for me over the past five years is because r- r- having to articulate your viewpoint often makes you change your viewpoint it often makes you refine it or maybe mm. think oh well maybe i was wrong about that you know and and um and so it's been a really good exercise but also because i see so much in society the free speech discussion and debate is so important right now this is like a crux at the moment uh, I think it couldn't be more timely in that respect. So I'm okay. glad that I've I'm glad that I've um, I've written it, and and I'm hoping um, ultimately what what all writers who write these kinds of books hope is that someone somewhere will be persuaded. You know, I, and I'm I'm not delusional enough to think that it's it's going to make a massive difference. But every now and then, when someone writes to me or sends me a message and says, "Oh, you, you really changed my mind about this," I find that very very satisfying um, because I feel like I've mm-hmm. I've actually done something for it, rather than just sending this stuff out to the ether and nothing, nothing is happening, you know, uh, or similarly, I got a message once about someone who'd been in hospital and it was his wife, I think, and how reading Titania's book really got her through it because it, she found it so funny. And, and I think that's, that's, that makes Titania cur- cures cancer. Is that the um, claim that she would, I think making? she would claim to be able to do that. Um, because she sees herself as the second coming, the Perusia, if you like. Um, but I, I, um, I, that kind of thing makes me very happy because I feel like for all the people who hate what I do and get very angry about what I do, even if a couple of people actually yeah. think it's quite important to them, um, then that makes that that makes it a good thing for me. But will you be enlisting a Scotsman to perform the audiobook version of your free speech uh, treatise? I think that's quite a good idea. Better still, I, want, I think you I should the do bra. it. The you bra. should do it in the voice of Sean Connery. In a Sean Connery voice. Yes. The beginning of free speech battles. And actually, doesn't free speech sound good in a Sean Connery accent? Free speech. Can you try it? Because you're, you're not even deigning. I can't do impersonations. You can't do any other accent than I don't even know how to peg yours. What what is it? Is it like North Winchestershire or something like that? What what? A uh, uh, Middlebury uh, tinsel or what, you what's your accent called? I'm trying to. I don't know like all the names for all the different British accents. My accent so. is is no accent at all because I've I've lived in so many different places. I think oh, okay. I, I, any kind of hint the of a regional Swiss ac- British. <laughs> <like that. laughs> no, because I think being living in Wales, Northern Ireland, okay. Scotland for a time, Yorkshire, uh, London. I think what happens is when you you flat it flattens out and yeah, you, flattens you, you, know, out, you can't hear it um 
You have the Ohio I, of British accents. Yeah. But I think um I think a Scottish yes, I think a Scottish actor reading the audiobook. Now the problem is I've already agreed to read the audiobook myself. Oh, yeah. But you can so just slip in the I, guy they want though. Well, so either the I learn probably Scottish never heard accent. of you. Maybe I should learn it. Maybe I should do it. Maybe just I should rewrite. I Maybe repeat. I should rewrite the book in the Robert Burns stanza form i think a sexy poem on free speech will do more good than any sort of straightforward argument at this point like something think? with a short skirt and demons uh regaling well, i think we should bring, we should bring the back the cutty sock yeah. i think when you talk about short skirt talk about a cutty sock cutty sock yeah is that how you say it sock or sock s-a-r-k sock 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 okay cutty yeah. sock <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I wish we were drinking something other than coffee, Andrew Doyle. It's a yeah. great holiday special. This is everything I wanted from a holiday special. Well, it's, you know, it's festive. You can see I've got the tree. Can you see I've got yeah. a reindeer on the tree at the top of the tree as well? A plump reindeer. Oh, Instead of a- I was wondering if that was some sort of like kinder egg or some sort of European treat. No, no, it's not a treat. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, unless you like, um, uh, eating reindeer it's it's a it's a plump reindeer um in in lieu of an angel i didn't i didn't want to put a fairy on the tree because that's homophobic so wait i, I thought it was homoerotic uh to put a fairy there well fairy what's the difference the- between homoeroticism and homophobia is are they kind of like they're very isn't they're it, very close bedfellows aren't they aren't they just like they're always like they are bedfellows like literally well of course they are because you know yeah homophobia and homoeroticism yeah of course because as you know um homophobes <laughs> no i'm not sorry i don't mean as you know but no, no go on with the sentence <laughs> no all right well homophobes as you know often have latent desire for other men you know homophobes mm. tend to be men and there was a study wasn't there where, where the, the the um they measured the erectile response to i mean they literally sort of tied up wires and things to people's genitals yeah yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and, i've had those doctors was, on it was true that that the most vocally homophobic uh, participants tended to be more aroused by man-on-man action when they watched the porno- pornographic films um it's not really surprising because if, if you if you why would you care like why would you be homophobic why would you care what other people do <laughs> unless unless you hated yourself for that desire why would why would it's a complete it doesn't make any sense why you would care you know so, unless it's, unless it's like religious or something like that okay you know so, so instead yeah. of the homophobic fairy you inserted a tree up the anus of a reindeer yes well uh, exactly okay. because i think that, uh, yes well that's that's well when you put it like that that sounds quite fetishy <laughs> um i hadn't actually considered that possibility but again it's probably a freudian gesture of some kind that I hadn't really thought about. Um, I just didn't want the fairy, the fairy in the UK, you see the word fairy is a derogatory term for a gay person. Oh, which okay. I don't think it is. I don't think it is in America, is it? I don't think you use fairy. Uh, uh, poof? Is, poof. That, is that the word? Well, a, a poof in this country is something you put your feet on to watch TV. Oh, what? Yeah. Like a... It, you know, it's like a... It's like a, 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 a square, normally square kind of um, foamy... Footprint. We have a very, very British word for that thing. 
for the footrest. I can't recall it right now. It's yeah. called like a, a, a windsport or something like that. You're, th- you're thinking of the word puff, which is puff or puffter, which is P-O-O-F or P-O-O-F-T-E-R, which is, uh, which is um, uh, uh, like faggot. You would say faggot. But the problem with faggot, oh. of course, faggot in this country also means uh, meatballs in gravy. Well, um, what? I thought it was a cigarette. No, that's But it's fag. some sort of mashed d- oh, okay. repast. Yeah, so a fag is a cigarette. Right? Oh, okay. A faggot is a kind of uh, a meatball which is put into gravy, so you can have faggots, a plate okay. of faggots, or a faggot is a bundle of a stick, a twig, the, yeah. the, the sort of kindling that is used yeah. to burn homosexuals in the medieval era. <laughs> and um, which so, is so there's all sorts of ambiguity about this this terminology, which you have to navigate in order to avoid being inadvertently homophobic which you're just mm. on the cusp of now, which I'm rather enjoying. I, I think the algorithm has got us pegged at this point. Um, or, or I this think the moment that you said that gay men like to penetrate reindeer with trees... I didn't say it, that. I'm just yes, saying you it, were trying to avoid homophobia. No. You said, and I quote, all gay men enjoy <laughs> penetrating reindeer with trees. It's been recorded, so you can go back and check it out. But that is exactly what I don't what know said. what to do with If you think I'm not now. reporting this, you have another thing coming, right? <laughs> you make me utterly sick. You are a reactionary, retrograde, unreconstructed monster who thinks that just because he's a little bit flirty from time to time, he will be welcomed with open arms by the gay community when you won't. Mr. Iced Wine lecturing me. It was the gin and tonic. <laughs> yeah, I that's what you say. You. You just want it to be an iced wine because that makes me more flamboyant because you hate I, gay people. I don't. I, I think I appreciate the camp. It really spices up the room. Now you're calling me camp. It, it's like, uh, um, what's the guy about? He wrote all the sentences. Uh, turn of the century. Um, all uh, the sen- philosopher. Philosopher. Didn't believe in language games or language games. Everything's a language game. Derrida? No, uh, the, he's, he was a British guy. He was born in Austria, though, and he uh, taught in England. Uh, Wittgenstein. Of- Wittgenstein. <laughs> okay. You're really he's, using Wittgenstein to try and justify your innate... No, my, my, my adoration of the camp. Like, there's this great <laughs> uh, BBC play that you probably wrote and you, you've forgotten all about, about yeah. Wittgenstein and his uh, journey through, through meaning and language. You might be thinking of the Derek Jarman film, which, which, which looks like a BBC play because it is so shoddily made. That's why I love that. <laughs> but, but actually, that's the thing about Derek Jarman is his films are so, they look like they're homemade and that's kind of the fun of them. You should actually, you should definitely watch, if you get a chance, De- Derek Jarman's version of Christopher Marlowe's Edward II is really good. Hmm. I mean, it's, 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 it's got all that cheap-looking homemade quality, but it's also got Tilda Swinton playing the queen <sighs> who kills Tilda. someone, executes someone by drinking the blood out of their neck. So hmm. that's worth checking out. That's a harsh execution by anyone's standards. But, you know, you expect... I don't know. It. It's Tilda, though. I mean, I wouldn't mind that, going out <laughs> like that. Like, like being laid to waste by her. I'd be oh, fine yeah. with it's a it's a good moment. It's a glamorous moment. She has she has some fabulous jewelry. She has this amazing necklace. Yeah, watch it. It's great. <laughs> All right. Do you have a, a famous uh, Christmas carol that, that's your favorite that you keep close to? I, I, to I you very much like "God Rest God Rest You Merry Gentlemen." Gentlemen, which is very good because there's also it's also very kind of um morbid in its tone, which I really like. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. got like this funeral 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it has. And um, mm-hmm. I also really like, um, mm-hmm. it's not technically a Christmas song, but it, we associate it with Christmas. There's a song called Gaudete, which is a Latin, an old Latin song. I've never heard uh, that one. Gaudete. Right. Um, but the reason why people think it's associated with Christmas is because there was a, a folk band called, I think it was Steel Ice Span. I could be, I could be completely wrong about that. Mm-hmm. Who, who they, they had a big hit back in the 70s or 80s or something with, with Gaudete. Um, and then Erasure, the, the, the sort of... <laughs> what does that of, even uh, mean? Gouderte. What is that? Do you want me to check for you? Could you? Oh, wait, no worries. But you were going to say that Erasure, uh, Erasure they did, remade Erasure did, did, did a cover version of Gaudete. Um, it, oh, actually, here we go. Gaudete is a sacred Christmas carol in Latin. Oh, okay. Thought to be composed in the 16th century. Um, and um, Gaudete what means does rejoice. Mean? Gaudete, rejoice. rejoice. Why, why do you like that? Why does that in, enthuse well, you? The, I tell you what, just just listen to it and watch the okay. video by Erasure, um, and um, where they have you know the two members of Erasure, Andy Bell and Vince Clark, have a uh, animated um, claymation versions of themselves, oh. and one I think I think they're dressed as monks, and it's all it's it's all snowy and it's 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 quite dark and quite brooding, and I quite okay. like yeah. the idea of um, a Latin synth pop song relating to christmas <laughs> yeah that's morbid i yeah i like it and it's got and it's got a darkness to it it's got a, it's got you know because i don't like the sort of fluffy i could do without mariah carey rolling around in that oh, red suit jing, jing, you know jing, jing. Yeah, yeah yeah so i think i think when it comes to christmas i think you go counterintuitive and have the more kind of morbid dark brooding stuff mm. because there's an element mm. of that to the season um so yeah gaudete erasure it's a cover version of a 16th century latin carol that would be what i'd go for and god rest me re God rest ye merry gentlemen, which I also like. Okay. I like anything yeah. with the word ye in the title. I think is fantastic. Oh wow! Okay, and are you going to be uh, regaling your neighborhood with uh, songs of your uh, this uh, season? I can't sing. I have no. I have no capacity for. Oh really? I, I kind of thought you would be well, not a singer, but like kind of a choir director in your free time, like that. No, no, no. I I, I write other people songs. sing for you. I write songs, um, yeah. but I can't. I can't sing them. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's quite embarrassing actually when I attempt to. So I, I won't. Yeah. Yeah, I bet you've got a lovely voice. I bet you've got the voice of a no, cherub. I, yeah, you should uh, listen. My, uh, I, I'm I'm making these uh, woke miss carols, and uh, I, I published one last night. It's absolutely, Are you sing- her- absolutely yeah. horrendous, absolutely uh, amazing uh, disaster. Uh, it was a, have yourself an anti-racist woke miss, um, ah. uh, but it, it, it terrible, terrible. You disappointed terrible. me though because I, I just had these this idea that you would have a very mm. s- a seraphic voice, very kind of. Uh, uh, no yeah no i maybe uh some projection uh okay we're just gonna ride the wave of well i look forward to your first album yeah no you should uh, actually you should help me with the evergreen musical uh I'll, I'll send you the demo tape and i think you've mentioned this to me before the idea of an evergreen i mean it makes yeah, complete you sense. never get back to me when, when i when i expose my creativity to you i think you're just into my questions that's I'm, what i'm busy i've got that's what, i've got yeah. books to write yeah, you're I, busy you know. you're busy that's what they say you're busy you, oh, that's fine i wouldn't take it as such a slight you're taking this very personally but it you know i i would obviously love nothing more than to collaborate on a musical with you <laughs> you know it is a dream of mine but well, there maybe is maybe in 2025 yeah 2025 let's we'll pencil that in Okay. Yeah. To the diary. And maybe and maybe just like our Skype dates, uh, it'll it'll be pulled off in the nick of time. Exactly. How are we doing for time, Ben? I'm gonna, We're good. I'm gonna we go we and... should wrap up. You should well, uh, get back to rewriting. Also, because I, you know, I, this is the morning for me now. Um, I haven't yeah. actually eaten any breakfast yet, and so my oh, mind's wow. a bit. My, my mind's a bit. Should fuzzy, go, you so should I... go have yourself a plate of faggots. 
I'm, yeah, that's what I should do. Now that I've introduced you to that, you're going to be using that a lot. This is your excuse now. You can use the word faggot and it's not homophobic anymore because you're talking about meatballs. I'm talking about balls and sauce. Exactly. <laughs> by the way, I mean, I don't eat meat, but they're gross. Have a look. Oh, wow. Have a, okay. Just Google, Google them. You'll see what I mean. Okay. All right. Okay. Actually, last last actually minute buy. vegan like confession. Or hmm? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I, the British, uh, British cuisine is, is not, it, it's not supposed to be, uh, compelling. Uh, no, Br- Br- British at. cuisine is, is, is an oxymoron. No. Yeah. But you guys have good, uh, you know, uh, short skirts and, uh, liquors. We have, we have cutty socks and that's it. <laughs> that's all we have. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll, I'll let you on with your day. Thanks so much, Andrew. No, thank you for having me. It's been fun. I will speak to you next time. We'll do it again, won't we? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. All Good right. luck. Bye. Right. Ciao. Uh-huh. Congratulations for reaching the end of the discussion. If you enjoyed it, do be sure to leave a review or a comment or a thumbs up or whatever you need to do to show that glorious algorithm that this is some good stuff. And do be sure to go and check that back catalog as it is brimming full of fantastic conversations. Links to provide monetary support are down there in the description as well. Have a good night.